A question that needs to be asked. When the Reformation stressed the glory of God alone, were they correct? Were they correct? When you think about the various purposes that could be in mind, that God had in mind when he created the world, when he sent Christ to save us from our sin, what is it that is the primary, the central, the, or the highest priority that God had in creating the world and also providing a means of redemption? Was it to express his love? Was it to express his grace and mercy? Was it to express his justice and righteousness? What was the primary purpose? And I think what we have to rediscover is that the primary purpose was for God to be glorified. That is the central, and that is the highest priority. That is the highest goal God had in mind, to glorify himself. Not to redeem us, and not to punish the wicked. Both are important, and both are necessary. Both are a part of the purposes and plans of God in the creation of the world. He created the world also to express his love, mercy, and grace towards us, but also to punish the unbelievers, the wicked or the reprobate, to demonstrate his righteousness and justice to them for all eternity and his love and mercy towards us for all eternity. However, he accomplishes both purposes in his ultimate goal, his highest priority, that is to glorify himself. We have to keep that in mind because when we don't keep that in mind, we are distracted. Either we are despondent and discouraged and we think that everything is uh, pessimistic and the world is unsavable and there's no hope and there's no peace, there's no harmony and reconciliation because everybody is wicked and there's no hope. Or we might have the opposite and be hyperly optimistic into thinking that since God is love and since he wants to show his love to everyone and since he wants to shower his love on everyone, everyone will be saved. Everyone is savable. Everyone is worthy of eternal salvation. So there must not be a hell. There must not be punishment. There must not be eternal punishment because God is love and he wants to show his love equally to everyone. So all people, and including the devil and the demons, we all go to heaven, they say. Or we have some kind of modified belief along those lines. However, those two are not true. What is true is that the highest priority is the glory of God. What we will do now is survey the scriptures on this fact, that the glory of God is the central or highest priority that God had in creating the world. Before that, just a brief note. When the Westminster Catechisms were made in the 1600s, the Westminster Catechisms, which are also a part of the Westminster Confession and that stream of, of doctrine, the Westminster Divines, when they produced these documents, the first question in the catechism, and a catechism is a discipleship tool. It asks a question, and then it gives an answer, and then it gives scriptural proofs to show that the answer is the biblical answer. Well, in the Westminster Catechisms, the first question has to do with the chief and highest end of man. What is the chief and highest end of man? Or what's man's chief end? And their answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. They say to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
There is another catechism, a catechism produced by Baptists, particularly one Baptist in the 1800s, in the mid-1800s, it's called the Puritan Catechism. And in that catechism, it asks this question, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God, 1 Corinthians 10.31, and to enjoy Him forever, Psalm 73.25-26. Then it asks the second question, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify Him? The answer, the Word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, Ephesians 2.20, 2 Timothy 3.16 is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify God and enjoy Him. 1 John 1, 3. It is in the scriptures that we learn that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Let's see what the scriptures say. Again, this will be a survey. Psalm 33, Psalm 33 verses 1 to 9 express that God created the world for His glory, to praise Him or to glorify Him. Psalm 33, verse 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. We have Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. When God chose Abraham, how did he express himself to Abraham? Acts 7.2 says, And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. What about Israel? Israel and Judah. What did they need to understand? From Jeremiah 13, 11, For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people for renown, for praise, and for glory, but they did not listen. How about Israel in the wilderness? God delivered rebellious Israel from Egypt and at the Red Sea for the sake of His name. Not because they were great people, but because of His name. Psalm 106, 7 and 8. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, He, that is God, saved them for the sake of His name, that He might make known His power to them. Ezekiel 20, verses 8 and 9. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. They did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. 
but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Why was Pharaoh in Egypt allowed to remain? Pharaoh was allowed to remain to show God's power and to have God's name proclaimed throughout the earth. Exodus 9, 16. But indeed, for this reason I have allowed you to remain in order to show my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. How about the Egyptians? What was God teaching them? The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Exodus 7, 5. Exodus 14, 4. Thus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Exodus 14, 17 and 18. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The punishment on the Egyptians, yes, it was God's righteousness, but his righteousness had as its goal the glory of God, to honor God. Why does God constantly spare Israel? We have seen a few verses. Further, we read in Ezekiel 20, 13 and 14. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my ordinances, by which, if a man observes them, he will live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profane. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness, to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, before whose sight I had brought them out. God also, he spared Israel so that the nations might not profane the name of God, but stand in awe and honor God for what he did for his own people. Why did Israel conquer the Canaanites? 2 Samuel 7, 23 says, And what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself? And to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land. Before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. Not only from Egypt, but also the conquest of the land of Canaan was for God to make a name for himself. Why did God make a covenant with David? We know in the Davidic covenant that Christ would be born as a king through the line of David. But that's not all. 2 Samuel 7, 25 and 26. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken, that your name may be magnified forever by saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and may the house of your servant David be established before you. Why does God not completely and ultimately abandon all the people of Israel? Why does he not do that? After all, they're stiff-necked and stubborn. 1 Samuel 12, 19 says, Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, 
You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would have to go, you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver you, because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Remember King Hezekiah? King Hezekiah had an illness. It was a fatal illness, and he prayed to the Lord. Well, why did God spare Hezekiah, and for that matter also the people of Judah in his time? 2 Kings 19, 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to the city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ram against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return. And he shall not come to the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Egypt, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. Then it says that two of his sons assassinated him. 2 Kings 20, verse 6, specifically on Hezekiah's help. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Israel went into exile. Remember, the Babylonians came. They crushed them and sent many of them away into the land of Babylon. And only the poorest people that could be easily subjugated remained in the land of Judah. Why did God restore the nation? Why under the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi, Zechariah and Haggai did God restore the people and, so that they could come back to the land of Judah? Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. But for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar, powerful king of Babylon? He's the one that destroyed the kingdom of Judah. What about him? What did God teach him about the purpose of his own life? Remember Nebuchadnezzar was proud and haughty. He had to be humble. And then what does he declare after he was humble? It says in Daniel 4, Daniel 4, 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon, the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Right. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. 
Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair, his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. This does happen occasionally, and it is diagnosed by psychologists and psychiatrists as boanthropy, that some people are driven to insanity and behave like cattle. It has happened a few times in history. And that's what happened suddenly and miraculously to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it lasted, in his case, for seven years. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me, Nebuchadnezzar is speaking, and my majesty and splendor was restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for he, all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. A New Testament example of a potentate, powerful, but was humiliated, is Herod. Acts chapter 12, 20 to 23. Now, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord, they came to him. And having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. He received glory that should have gone to God and paid with his own life. Within the Trinity, glory exists. The Holy Spirit exists to glorify the Son, or acts to glorify the Son. John 16, 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit's purpose, whatever He does in this world, is to glorify the Son. The Father also appointed Jesus to glorify the Father. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Isaiah 49, 3. And Israel in Isaiah 49, 3 is another name of Jesus, another name of Christ. And Christ is in existence when He comes to the world to glorify the Father. John 7, 18. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Philippians 2, 9-11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
We have the ability to believe only if we seek glory from the one and only God of glory. Notice this. We have the ability to believe only if we seek glory from the one and only God of glory. People do not have the ability to believe because they're not seeking God's glory. They're seeking their own. This is what Jesus said in John 5, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? 1 Corinthians 2, 8. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They crucified the Lord of glory because they were seeking their own glory, their own wisdom, and not God's. Then, our good works as believers, as believers in Christ, why do we perform good works? The ultimate reason is in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. On the day of visitation or judgment, on that day of judgment, the evildoers who slander us will glorify God because we are practicing good deeds. Jesus answers our prayers for the Father to be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He's teaching that when we pray and we ask Christ to answer our prayers, Christ will answer our prayers not for merely our benefit, but that God the Father is glorified. Jesus' suffering brought glory to Himself. But we, but we do see Him, Hebrews 2, 9. We do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. It says in Hebrews 2.9 that the suffering of death made him be crowned with glory and honor. He died for glory. John 12.27 Also to glorify the Father. John 12.27-28 Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John 13, 31 to 32. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and will glorify Him immediately. John 17, 1 and 5. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. We suffer. Why do we suffer? We suffer for the sake of God. Isaiah 48, 10 and 11. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. 
for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. Even for the people of God, he delays wrath for his glory. 48.9, Isaiah 48.9, For the sake of my name I delay my wrath, and for my praise I restrain it for you, in order not to cut you off. Then also he forgives us of, his, of our sins for his glory. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Psalm 25, 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. When we are accepted before God, Christ accepts us. For the glory of God. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Predestination. Why does predestination exist? To the praise of the glory of His grace. From Ephesians 1, various passages in chapter 1. He predestined us to adoption as sons to Jesus Christ Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Him, to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of His glory, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Romans 9, 22-24. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory even us, whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The punishment of the wicked. We just spoke of the redemption of the righteous in predestination. But what about the punishment of the wicked? This also has, as an end, the glory of God. Malachi 1, 3-5. But I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation, and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, We have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this, and you will say, May the Lord be magnified beyond the border. Of Israel. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter two, verses fourteen to seventeen. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in His triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight 
of God. He says that he, as a messenger of the gospel, is an aroma in every place. An aroma of the knowledge of God in every place. A fragrant aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. He knows that the preaching of the gospel produces two results. Two results. And he thanks God for it. That's how he started. But thanks be to God. I thank God that the gospel produces these two results, even the punishment of the wicked. Revelation 14, 7. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of waters. Revelation 19, 1 to 7. After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, the great multitude is us. Right. The great multitude is us. What do we sing? Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all of you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And lastly, in all things, God is to receive glory forever. Forever. Psalm 115, 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Psalm 86.9 All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Psalm 86.12 I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. Isaiah 60 verses 19 to 21 no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane. For you have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. First Peter 4.11 Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength with which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. 
2 Peter 3.18, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Jude 25, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. I trust that it is obvious that the scriptures have as the central focus the glory of God. Not the love of man. Right. He does love us. There's no doubt. And not his righteousness. He is righteous. No doubt. But it is the glory of God. We have to recover this because we have man-centered churches and we think that the world exists and God exists to please us and to shower His love on us so that we can have whatever we want, so that we can do whatever we want, but that's not the case. The focus is not man, the focus is on God and His glory. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Our Father, we pray that you will make us focused on your glory, not seeking our own fame, not seeking our own fortune, not seeking our own uh, prosperity in this world in any way that we devise. We pray that we will not be focused on our sins, that we will obey you, we will fear you, we will love you, we will praise you, because you deserve all the glory. In the name of Christ, amen.